Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed, A Tale of Two Cars, Part 2. Later on in this episode, you can enjoy the full fruitiness of the Jaguar F-Type R all-wheel drive. But first, my conclusion about the Renault Kajar. Just done a few corners in this car on a road which undulates up and down, swings left and right. We're doing about 45 miles per hour on this nice B road with farm countryside on either side. And I am really warmed by the balance of this car. The front end turns in quite nicely, but the back end is terrific. The back end follows suit very carefully. This car doesn't understeer, and it certainly doesn't oversteer. It's actually a good example of Renault tuning a chassis for a car, really. I know I'm not supposed to be impressed, having just driven one of the fastest, most frighteningly superb driving weapons you could, but to shift from that to something as mundane as this and be satisfied is a measure of the amount of work that we put into cars these days to make them run nicely and to be rewarding. Why would you choose a Renault Kadjur over a Nissan Qashqai, I wonder? Especially if you lived round here. Because, of course, the Qashqai is built in the Nissan factory in Washington, Tyne and Weir, not that far away. So why would you choose this car? Maybe you used to have a Clio when you were a young person before you had a family, or a another Renault and you have an affinity to the brand maybe there's a Renault dealership near you or maybe you just like the size of the grill (laughs) there are lots of reasons why you might choose this but I'm sure the locals around here would choose the patriotic choice the Qashqai I can't compare the two cars directly I had to tell you what the differences between them are because I haven't driven the other one but if it's as good as this the new Qashqai is a proper good car this Renault feels sorted and I'm sure the Nissan will be too. Which is the better car? Those two, eh? It's a bit like comparing the Toyota GT86 with the Subaru what's it called? BRZ? Mmm, depends what you want which is the better car. What is it the same? Most people have at least one foot bigger than the other. (laughs) You know, a natural variation curve. So even if two manufacturers set out to achieve the same thing with a car, they're both going to do it different ways. So that's your subtle difference between a Renault and a Nissan. They're just arriving at solutions from a different starting point. I take back what I said about the gearbox, having just driven the car enthusiastically along a nice quiet stretch of road. The gears just fall into place now, it's just a matter of me adapting my skills to this box. It's a perfectly good box. I also take back what I said about it not understeering earlier on. Yes, it does understeer a little. Not very much. Surprisingly, you know, there was one moment where I thought, I'm going to increase the turn a bit more, which is remarkable, really. A car like this should be scrubbing its way around corners all the time, but it it isn't. It's quite positive, refreshingly and surprisingly positive. And that's something, because in a world where we're all driving taller cars these days, you want to know that the people driving these cars have got cars which are capable of getting round the corner without rolling or slewing off into a hedge. And to be fair, Renault have captured that with the Kajar. 
and that was not a pun well actually it was but it wasn't intended to be one I am sorry Pulled over in a side road so I can have a look at the Kajar. It's got a big bluff front end. Those safety impact requirements these days require that, don't they? And that massive Renault Diamond on the front. It's an attractive car. I think it's probably colour dependent. This one is in uh, sort of a marine blue, which is a nice colour, but a bit dull. And I think the launch colour for this car, as for many Renaults at the moment, is this sort of brilliant, almost ochery red, which makes just about any car look dramatic. Renaults look good in bright colours. This one in the darker colour looks nice and conservative. It's nicely shaped and rounded. It's got some flair to it, a bit like the Nissan Leaf has that funny sort of rise uh, how can I describe it the bonnet merges into the A pillar with quite a pronounced curve to it that we first saw on the McGann when that was launched a few years ago remember I covered that on Gareth Jones on speed so it's got a little bit of style you know, a little bit of feline dare I say it muscularity about it it doesn't look particularly sporting it doesn't look particularly industrial it sits in that middle ground but the wheels are fabulous once again Renault do some great wheels and they've got a lovely set of wheels on this I'll take a picture of them for you better describe one two three four five what do we call those arrowheads pointing in towards the centre magnificent actually really smart and a good set of tyres by the way these are 225 45R19s so there's plenty of grip there. Actually, it's a well-balanced car to drive because of that. They've done well. They have. I keep saying that, haven't they? Haven't they done well? Get to sound like Bruce Forsyth. Didn't Renault do well with a Renault Kajar? Thank you very much. It seems a little sparse inside here. There's a great expanse of plastic. And the uh, number of buttons are quite few and far between which is a good thing although I've been trying to scroll through the screen here and I've got driving assistance settings or I've got the navigation but that's about it I don't know how you navigate that nice to see it's got two USB sockets in the centre console it's also got a good old-fashioned cigarette lighter 12 volt with a cover over it that flips up and the keyless ignition it's got stop start button and the Renault key I don't know if this is the same across all the models at the moment but it's like a flattened square apple mouse it's quite a nice thing a bit large but very lightweight and delicate lovely thing to handle nice to see dual zone climate control in here as well yeah bigger car needs dual zone you're in a small car there's no point in having dual zone you can't really separate two environmental systems in a small volume but you got a car with a large volume it makes sense to have separate controls for the passenger and the driver to set the temperature they want in the car well done nice one two three four five six seven eight clear buttons on the wheel which are very clear what they're for oh actually i just realized that's probably how i cycle the screen isn't it now Ah, you see, learning all the time. Should have read the handbook, really, shouldn't I? But hey, who does? Journalists are supposed to. I'm also seeing the great big eco button on the right. So I'm going to press that. Engage eco mode. 
I just found the cruise control buttons or speed limiter button down on the centre console alongside where the coin rack is where you can keep your pennies for paying tolls and car parks. Okay, that's all right down there. I don't ever remember Enter the roundabout. Take the second exit. finding that before. I haven't had cause to use that yet. I never used to be a fan of cruise control for the UK. I thought there was absolutely no point. But I now realise with all these intelligent motorways that control speed and stuff that if you have to lock down to a 50 mile per hour speed limit in the motorway for a long time, the best way to do it is with a speed limiter or cruise control. Take the second exit. I've just discovered that the infotainment screen is touchscreen operated. That explains why I couldn't find any buttons. And I've gone to the eco screen, which tells me how I've been driving. Apparently my global score is 34 out of 100. I haven't been trying to drive it economically. I've been enjoying it, perhaps driving normally and a little enthusiastically. But now that I can see that there's a how to improve your eco driving screen, I could employ that. I'm always happy to have the option of that information and moderate my driving saving fuel. Yeah, cool. Just cycling through the screens here, it tells me that over the last 31.8 miles that I've driven since I got in this car, uh, I've averaged at 31 miles per hour and at 43 miles per gallon. So that's pretty acceptable, considering I wasn't driving economically to get that sort of result. Pretty good. I wonder what I could achieve if I really drove it tenderly. I bet I could go for 50. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. More cycling through the information screen shows me my tyre pressures. I have to say, this is quite an easy and clear system. It seems to respond quickly and the graphics are very obvious. But my tyre pressures are following front left-hand side, 2.5. Front right-hand side, 2.6. Rear left-hand side, 2.3. Rear right-hand side, 2.2. So, uh, you know, check your air pressures, guys. Unless you might want a car with slightly more air pressure on the right-hand side of the car if you're driving it on your own with no one on the other side of the car. Isn't that how they set up Indy cars? They have different caster and camber angles on air pressures but they only go around in circles don't they right t side left thirsk right i'm a bit thirsty but i'm going to go to t side i'm going to head back and get something to drink i've been properly impressed with this car i wasn't expecting to be i was expecting to think yeah it's just okay it's hard having driven something so dramatic immediately before it but to be fair i think they've done a good job with this genuinely And that's it, the end of my Cadger experience. It was cool. Back to the sound of the F Type R supercharged V8, all wheel drive with the option of uh, through-flow through your exhaust. There's a button on the dash that you can press which sends the exhaust gases around straight pipes rather than through the baffles. It misses out a few baffles, allowing it to be this fruity. Listen. 
Amazing, what a car. I'm now driving around Cheshire, trying to find some quiet roads to make them noisy so you can hear the car. Quite such fun. I am using the paddles at the moment, which means it is popping and crackling a lot more because I'm holding it in lower gears so you can hear the car. But let's spiegel around this lovely little B road that I'm on and tell you what it's like. It's all about theatre, this car, which is sort of appropriate because I've been out doing some theatre work, as you know, acting in the Tommy Cooper show. And this car is itself a bit of theatre. Any car which has a button which allows you to make more noise, that's a special effect, isn't it? That's, you know, it's just for show. Any car which has a top speed of 186 miles per hour, you know, really, that's just for show too, isn't it? No one in their right mind's ever going to get anywhere near that. Maybe if they were racing, but if you were going to buy a racing car, you'd get a Project 7, wouldn't you? Which is the only other F-Type faster than this, I believe. Or quicker. I don't know if it's faster, but it's quicker around corners. The other bit of theatre which Jaguar have been doing for a while is when you start the engine, of course the needles for the Speedo and the Taco spin to the right, leaping into action like, I'm ready, sir. And in the Jaguar XF and other Jags and maybe even the Range Rover now as well when you press the start button a knurled knob rises vertically from the centre console for you to select gears you know, a bit of theatre now in this car the theatre comes from the two vents which rise up out of the dash rather like a pair of slots for some sort of secret laser weapon would appear out of them and stare at you from the dash they really don't need to do that they could stay up all the time but when you shut the car down they fold away a little bit of theatre also the leaper and the word Jaguar is written in the door sill and at night when you open the door with a touch button oh that's nice they shine it is theatre it's real Hollywood glamour it makes you feel like you're getting into a car a valet driver just given back to you at some glamorous Hollywood party it really does it is show business show business this car's all about theatre when I was talking to Pete my video game based friend the other day who was in the car with me he says it's extraordinary because it doesn't seem to need to slow down for roundabouts he's not used to driving in uh, well, I suppose supercars uh, to be honest most of us aren't and he's absolutely right not only does this car just not need to slow down for most roundabouts of course depending on the speed that you're going when you enter the roundabout which is normally the same speed as everyone else in traffic but not only when you arrive at roundabout do you go around the same speed it actually makes you want to accelerate when you reach a roundabout this car and drive through it more quickly because you think wow that's going to be fun and those prodigious levels of grip and feedback which you get when you go round roundabouts in this car are just pleasure in the extreme I do love the steering I think the steering on this car is possibly the best thing about it and I know I've said this that the engine is phenomenal as well as is the styling 
performance. You can tell I'm actually enjoying this car as we speak and I will continue to enjoy it as long as I've got it. Hmm, I wonder how far I could actually get away from London in this car before Jaguar came looking for me asking for it back. It's a practical car to use. There has been some criticism that the boot space in the F-Type isn't great, but quite frankly, I think it's pretty good. I went away to do Tommy Cooper, and also a wedding in between the Tommy Cooper shows and the car launch, and so I had to take all my kilt kit with me, which takes up an extra bag. And that fits in a sort of a shelf in the boot. It's got a nice little tiny shelf, big enough for my overnight bag. And I also had another bag with me full of clothes that I would be wearing and changing, a small hold-all. That fitted in, as did Violet's wheelie bag, which is small enough to fit on the rack of an overhead, or big enough, just about to squeeze in. And Violet's backpack and my backpack with my laptop and this recorder and all my Gareth Jones on Speed stuff in there and Tommy Cooper stuff. So you can't complain about that. That's practical, isn't it? I like to talk about music in cars and I've discovered that this car particularly likes John Fox. Remember John Fox who was in Ultravox? He helped form the band and then left and was replaced by Midjour and they became a bit of a different band. John Fox creates all this electronic, atmospheric, post-industrial, beautiful stuff. And his later work with Lewis Gordon, I've noticed more in this car than any other car in which I've listened to it. I don't know something about the resonant frequencies of the car, but yeah, John Fox works in here. It's unusual, because he's quite 80s. And I feel this car is sort of 50s or 70s. There's something raw about it, like the 70s. In fact, so 70s that I decided to buy a new jacket to wear in this car. You've got to wear a flat cap if you're driving a Jaguar with the roof off. You've got to wear a flat cap when you're my age, otherwise your hair gets pulled out. What's left of it? So I've got a flat cap and I thought, well, I'd better get the right jacket to go with my flat cap. And if I'm going to be driving a convertible, it's going to be a vehicle which you'll need a bit of warmth in your body rather than waterproof because if it's raining you've got the roof on so I bought a nice sort of woolly what I call lumberjack plaid jacket a bit like the sort of thing Noddy Huffy used to wear in about 1972 before he got the top hat and the tartan suit just a jacket uh, and I put on a Slade t-shirt as well because it's the 70s Slade connection and the fact that this car makes you say come on feel the noise <laughs> that's why I had to wear a Slade shirt also, you could apply stranglers to this, oral sculpture. They definitely worked on the audio for this car, and I admire that. But the best music link with this car, I think, really, it's a pussycat doll, this car. It's a pussycat, a Jaguar, it's a doll. So pretty, so very pretty. And the more I look at it, the more I realise how very pretty it is. <laughs> And it's a pussycat to drive, really, because at these low speeds through towns at the moment, it's just fine. It's an automatic, tightly sprung, but comfortable, lightweight, smooth thing that generally seems to float above the road and lets the tremendous engineering underneath do all the hard work. It's a pussycat doll, this car. I call this programme a tale of two cars. I suppose the two cars you thought I was talking about was this and the Renault Cajur. But in truth, this Jag is actually two cars. It is the most superbly performing driver's car 
that you could ever wish for. But because of the way that the technology is applied in this car, it is no problem to beetle around in at low speeds. I think that's the supercharger helping. Turbos can be tricky at low speeds. They come on like a crazy thing, but a supercharger allows you to even out the power band. So it's a very practical car for sitting through traffic. And yet it is a superbly refined sports car. It shocks in the way that the F-Type shocked, I'm sure, when it first turned up in 1961. So it is a pure Jaguar sports car in that respect, but something that you can pot around in. I took Violet around Newcastle in this car. Not once did she complain about the ride. It's fairly harsh, but not uncompromising. This also represents two cars in one, in that finally Jaguar have thrown away the shackles of history and done away with wood and really are building extraordinary modern cars with exceptional abilities. There is nothing about the F-Type that is a pastiche of old Jaguar E-Type. If it's got any DNA, it's with the XJ220 perhaps, or even the CX75, both much more modern Jaguars. So whilst this does everything that a Jaguar should do, and that is be a proper sports car, get you noticed and be glorious, it does it in a very modern way. I was driving from Newcastle back to St. Helens just a few days ago and I came through Harrogate and as I was driving through Harrogate I heard this sound. But it wasn't my car that was making it. Behind me, I noticed in my mirror, was a red V8. Pulled into the left-hand lane and they drew up alongside me. We both had our roofs off on a beautiful Sunday morning and we engaged in conversation. I'm driving around a roundabout at the moment, by the way, and balancing the car on the throttle and just getting the front end round. That was extraordinary, the way it does that. Anyway, the guy pulled up alongside me and there was a woman in the passenger seat and she called out to me and said, oh my God, she said, it's the all-wheel drive supercharged one. I said, yes but I bet they're all good, aren't they? And she said, oh yeah. And we smiled at each other and we drove quietly and smoothly through town. And then I think at the same moment, we both pressed the make loud noise button and drove off in opposite directions, waving. Really nice to be in that club of other people who drive a similar car to you. I used to do it a long time ago with cars I've owned, but I haven't for a long time. But I was very happy to do it with this car. Also, when I was driving through Newcastle with Violet, Two lads pulled up alongside us in traffic in town in a Bedford Astromax van. Wound down the windows. Canny looking lads they were, if I can use a localism. And they said to me, Oh, man, are you lost? I said, No. Why do you ask? He said, Oh, man, because nobody drive one of those around here. <laughs> We've all got vans, we can't afford this. It's lovely, mate. And engaged in a really 
positive conversation about how they'd noticed the car and how much they loved it, which I thought was very generous. And I've left this car parked in back alleys in Liverpool and St. Helens and Newcastle over the last few days, and it has not been marked. In fact, often I come back and find someone standing looking at it going, oh, it's lovely, that. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. Imagine a car this capable that just makes people happy when it's around. That's a beautiful thing. Right, I'm going to finish now, because I've talked a lot in this programme. I'm sure you're sick of my voice. But I'll leave you with another analogy, another reference to a book. You may remember I started this programme talking about Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, how when you're out in an environment, in a roofless car or a motorcycle with no helmet, you experience the environment. Well, you can drive around in this car, you can smell the fields, you can hear the bird song, you can even hear little children gasp as it drives past, and of course you can hear the engine pop and crackle. But here's another book I think is important for this story of this car. The book is called Expensive Habits, written by a chap called Simon Garfield. It's an account of some of the most shocking and disappointing and awkward legal cases that have ever existed in rock and roll. The stories of bands like Fleetwood Mac and Hazel O'Connor and Bucks Fizz. Those are the three I remember. Some terrible legal stuff happened. But there was an adage I remember reading in that book which has stayed with me for life. And it's, hits don't happen, they are made. Hits don't happen, they are made. You know, you can't simply release a great record and expect it to be wonderful because it's a great song. You have to get that song to people. You have to make people notice it. You have to market it. Rock and roll is part of show business. It is an industry. And so there's no point making something wonderful and not telling people about it. And that's why I think this car is going to be a success. Because every time somebody gets in this car, they tell people about it because it gets noticed. The car itself tells people that it's around by its enormous charisma on the road. This skill which Ian Callum and his team have of designing a car which is both impressive and unthreatening. When we interviewed him about the design of the car, he explained that he was trying to achieve a car which was masculine enough to appeal to the male driver but still feminine that women would want to buy it so he was building something the motoring equivalent his words are not mine of David Bowie I don't know if you remember that interview look it up in the Gareth Jones on Speed archives this is a car which is almost pan-gender and that's a good thing in the 21st century a very modern thing steered away from the sheer phallic maleness of the E-type so this car tells people about itself when it goes out and about. It tells you the sound it makes. It announces its arrival. It is a car with theatre on the inside and theatre on the outside. And that's a great way of getting your message out. And you may remember the reason I chose this car to drive at the moment was that I'd been out on holiday in Dorset and noticed dozens of F-types many more of them on the road than I would have expected really genuinely surprised and now I don't need to be surprised this car sells itself that's why it's such a big hit and what a pleasure it's been to drive it 
and listened to it over the last week. Hope you've enjoyed it too. I was Gareth Jones. This was Gareth Jones on speed. And I'll leave you with the sound of this car as I pull away from these lights. email see pictures get song lyrics join our facebook fan site follow us on twitter or to find out about sponsorship opportunities go to garethjones.tv gareth jones on speed is made in london by whiz bang gareth jones on speed